When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Speaking of Keith Law, this was Toby's conversation with one of the experts on prospects. Big day for D.C. outside of football. We've had the last two days celebrating the commander's sale to the Josh Harris group. Today, just a couple of blocks away from our studio down here by Nats Park in the Navy Yard, they introduced Dylan Cruz and his official signing with the Washington Nationals. For Nationals fans out there, what kind of ceiling does this guy have and how excited should they be that they got Dylan Cruz here with the team here in D.C.? So I had Cruz as the number one player in this draft on my ranking of all of the players in this very, very loaded draft class. Obviously, the Nets got him with the second overall pick. He is coming off of a three-year career at LSU where he was certainly the best hitter in college baseball, one of the best I think we've ever seen, and did it in the SEC, which offers the best caliber of competition that there is anywhere in amateur baseball. Uh, He can really hit. He's got just an exceptional feel for putting the ball in play and doing it, uh, making hard contact, using the whole field with some power. I think he's probably going to be more of a 20-homer guy than a 30-homer guy, but hitting for average with very strong on-base percentages. He's got a chance to stay in center field. He may eventually get pushed to a corner by a better defensive center, center fielder. Someone like James Wood in the national system is a much better defender, but Cruz can play it, and that gives him a chance to be quite valuable if he stays up the middle or to add a lot more defensive value if he does end up moving to a corner to an easier position. And thinking about Cruz, how long is it, do you think, before he's done in the Curly W and playing here in D.C.? So I think you should be looking for him by next summer, assuming he doesn't get hurt. My guess is they'll start him at Fredericksburg for a little bit, probably have him come here to Wilmington where I live for a couple of weeks, setting him up to start next season in double A. That's as aggressive as we ever see any team with a recent college draftee. Matt McLean did it a couple of years ago. Brooks Lee did it this year. He was the eighth pick in the draft last year, started this year in double A Wichita and is doing well. And I would expect Cruz to have no problem anywhere in the low minors. They probably just will have him kind of make the tour of the Nets minor league affiliates, spend a little time at each stop, probably spend the most time at double A with the goal towards having him in the big leagues by the all-star break next year. Cause I just think he's that advanced of a hitter that if nothing else, he doesn't have much to learn in the minors. All of his further development is 
probably going to happen in the big leagues. Talking with Keith Law from The Athletic, and so you just put out your recent prospect rankings in the top 60, and two things immediately stood out to me. You know, as mm-hmm. a Nationals fan, the first thing I look for is where's Cruz and where's Wood, and you have Wood all the way down at number 20, as opposed to a lot of other publications have him more towards the top five and definitely inside the top 10. Can you explain why you have him a little bit lower? Well, I, I think I'm ranked appropriately. Um, I've seen Wood quite a bit this year, and if you followed Wood, uh, he's very talented. He's got a huge, huge ceiling. He's also got a pretty big strike zone, and he's having trouble with the strike zones, particularly since the promotion to Double A. Although you could see it, even when he was here in Wilmington, having a lot of success, there's in zone miss. He is going to have trouble keeping his contact rate up, and that is a pretty significant. Uh, significant flaw for any hitter, even one as talented as he is, with huge power, huge speed, great defensive center fielder. But you have to hit. You have to hit to be able to get to that power. And I also lean on the fact that hitters his size, six foot seven or taller, have historically had a very hard time succeeding in the majors. One of the main, main reasons is that their strike zones are huge and they swing and miss too much. It keeps the average down and then they can't get to that power. And I think that is going to be the, the biggest maybe the only real thing that separates Wood from either being a superstar because he has the tools to do so or being a guy who's, who just is kind of a disappointment relative to expectations. Who's, you know, an up and down player can't play regularly because he might be striking out 30% of the time. And it's just hard to be a successful major leaguer when you're striking out that much, when you're swinging and missing as often as he, as he especially has been since he got to double a. Well, and this sounds a lot like Elijah green with swinging and missing in the zone so the question is, with the Nationals here, is there some concern with the development here? Because, you know, we've talked about this before, whether it's, you know, choosing the right players in the draft or is it the development? But, you know, I think you can see the talent's pretty obvious with Green. You can see the talent's pretty obvious with Wood, but they're struggling to make contact in the zone. Is this something that the Nationals' development is struggling with, or is this just a case that the player, that's their hole and they need to work on it? I don't think it has anything to do with their development. I think both players, and I don't think those two players are, are very similar either. Wood is far more talented, and that's far, uh, just a better baseball IQ, far better instincts on both sides of the ball than Green does. Elijah Green also should probably not be in low A, but since uh, Rob Manfred decided to contract the minors and get rid of short season between the complex leagues and low A, there's no place to send him. They could demote him to the Gulf Coast League, whatever they're calling it these days. Maybe that's the best move, but what he really needs is an intermediate level that, that doesn't exist. And players like Elijah Green are really getting hurt by this. But both of those guys came into pro ball with swing and miss questions. They actually came out of the same high school. Wood was drafted by the Padres, obviously, Green by the Nationals. But we knew both of those guys had some swing and miss concerns, even as high schoolers. And I said that even ranking Green quite highly in that draft, that that was the main concern on him. Huge upside, but questions about ball strike awareness, pitch selection as a hitter. And what we've seen is Wood is quite a bit more disciplined, and at least so far at A-ball, was able to get around that, whereas Green has it. He is, uh, he's really drowning at this point. And, and I do worry about what happens if he stays there the rest of the year and continues to swing and miss as often as he is. Does that really stall further development? Talking with Keith Law from The Athletics. So going back more so to just James Wood here, you mentioned mm-hmm. the concerns with the swing and miss in the zone. How confident are you that he can fix some of these issues enough to become a big leaguer and then maybe turn himself into you know an impact player that the Nationals are kind of expecting him to be at some point? 
Well, ranking him as the 20th best prospect in baseball, I think, speak to, speaks to a, what I think is a pretty high degree of confidence for a guy who is who is having these issues and who has kind of the physical impediment of just being so tall. It is literally a, a, a huge factor here is his strike zone is larger than almost everybody else's in all of baseball. You know, everyone looks at Aaron Judge now and says, oh, well, you know, he could be like that. Aaron Judge is, he's kind of a unicorn anyway. But also, he didn't strike out this much in the minors. And so it is just a big challenge for any player. This is less specific to Wood and more that players that tall who have this kind of swing and miss issue don't get around it all that often. I give Wood a higher chance than most because he's incredibly athletic. Uh, he has already made quite a few adjustments in the two full years that he has been in the minors. And because it does seem like he has pretty good instincts too. So I give him a much higher than average chance versus if you could pick some random six, seven prospect who, uh, who was having similar strike zone issues. I think Wood is about as high probability maybe as it gets to be able to overcome this. But I just have to recognize what I, what we call the base rate of hitters that size who swing and miss that often is actually not that great. So we talked about James Wood being a little bit lower than consensus in your top 60 rankings here, but another guy for the Nationals that a lot of consensus has him more in the 70s, some in the 60s. You have him all the way up at number 30 is Brady House. What have you seen that allows you to put him all the way up as the 30th ranked prospect? Well, another guy I've seen, he was, he was here in Wilmington for a hot minute, and all I saw that guy do was hit everything on the screws. Uh, that is pretty exceptional power and very hard contact. And that was his calling card in high school. It's why the Nationals took him in, with a top 10 pick in the draft in 2021, in the, to the same year that the Padres took James Wood. And House, he probably would have been in Wilmington last year, except he'd been hurt. He missed most of the year. Starts in Fredericksburg, tears it up. Comes here, he's literally here for 16 games. All he does is continue to make hard contact. I thought he'd stay here a bit longer because there's some question. In his case, it's more chase. It's going after pitches outside of the zone, which I actually think is generally an easier thing to teach young players to cut down on, recognizing balls and strikes versus being able to make more contact with pitches that are in the zone. I think in, as a, in the general case, it's easier to work on that. But I think House... I actually saw less chase, less concern about swinging this from him in the handful of games I saw from him here and also got him at the Futures game really briefly. And I think there's pretty huge offensive upside there, and I also have no concern about him staying at third base. I think he has a big power-hitting third baseman who, yeah, maybe he strikes out a quarter of the time, but he does everything else you could want a guy to do at the plate. Just a couple more here for you, talking with Keith Law from The Athletic. Robert Hassel III, a guy that so many people viewed as a very safe prospect to get mm-hmm. from the Padres in the Soto deal. A lot of people are excited. Maybe they question the ceiling, but his floor was supposed to be high. And this season, what we've seen at Double A has not been very encouraging. Is there something that is going on? Like, what have you seen from Robert Hassel this year? I haven't seen Hassel personally this year. I will also say I agree with everything you just said. Coming into the season, he was the safe one. Of the five guys they got in the trade, he was supposed to be the highest floor. You got a big leaguer. You probably got a regular. You might not have a whole lot more than that. But he could really hit. And that was kind of his thing all the way back to high school. And it's what he did all the way up through until the promotion to double A last year. And he has completely stalled out in double A. And he's not making much not making enough contact and he's not making good quality contact. The only thing I'll say is he is still pretty young. And 
my guess is he will probably return to double A next year. But as far as I know, there is nothing. It's not a swing issue. It is not a hidden injury. If there is one, I don't think anybody knows about it. And I'm just completely flummoxed. I had somebody, a, a front office executive who saw my top 60 ranking uh, before I published it. I sent it around to people, a lot of people for feedback and asked about Hassel. And he said, uh, in his organization's view, he's not a top 150 prospect. Mm. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Mm-hmm. So looking at the Nationals draft this year, mm-hmm. any guys outside of Cruz that you're pretty excited about for the Nationals to get? I mean, obviously getting Morales and Sikora, what they view as three first-round guys alongside Cruz is pretty exciting. Any of those guys stand out for you in their Nationals draft class this year? Well, that was that's essentially the draft class, right? After that, it was largely, if not exclusively, guys who would sign for under slot so they could save money to pay uh, particularly Sakura. And I agree. I had all three of those guys ranked in my top 35 in the draft class, which is basic. And we're not going to quibble first round ish, right? Lots of people thought Morales was a top 20 talent. It's a good swing. He does hit the ball hard. He can show you some power to all fields. He's not terribly disciplined as a hitter. I think there's going to be some swing and miss there. There's questions of whether he stays at third base, but to get him with your second pick, is great, great value. And he will be a good challenge for player development to get him to cut down on some of both Chase and Swing and Miss in the zone. Sakura is very much a national type of pitching prospect. I think he's 6'6", right-handed, has been up to 100 with an out pitch in his splitter. Going to have to work on a breaking ball, work on command and control. He's typical Texas throws really hard type of pitcher, but the feel for pitching isn't quite there yet. And the biggest thing with all these high school pitchers is just keeping them healthy. We've seen with Andrew Painter with the Phillies. He's probably not going to pitch now until 2025. He was the best high school pitcher in his particular draft class. And as recently as this spring looked like he might be in the big leagues before he turned 20, high school pitchers are just risky. But if you want to take that guy with your third-round pick because you've already got two really good college position players in your draft class, by all means, do that all day long. Last question here, talking with Keith Law from The Athletic. I think it's appropriate. It's his bobblehead day down at the Nationals Park tonight against the Giants. C.J. Abrams, we've seen a totally different player out of him. I know it's a small sample size of him in the leadoff spot, but really over the last month, last 20, 30 games, he's been a different player. Is this the guy that the Nationals expected to get when they traded for him? Is this more of what C.J. Abrams is going to be? Is this you know, kind of what he looked like as a prospect? I guess it depends on what you've seen from him in the last couple of weeks. I, I can tell you that the expectations of Abrams, even as a when he was a high schooler, and particularly in his first year out with the Padres, was a guy who'd hit for average, get on base at a good clip, steal a ton of bags, uh, play pretty good defense at short, which I know has not been present for him this year, certainly, with Washington, and might eventually come into 15 to 20 homers. And I think the thing it certainly seemed like we've been waiting on in uh, from seeing Abrams like in April of May and May of this year, it looked like we were still kind of waiting on the strength to come, that the swing was there. The decisions were pretty good. It looks, looked to me like his approach was better this year than it was last year, and he just wasn't getting a ton of results. I know he hit a few more homers this year, and I think that's a great sign. I still want to believe there's a little more power there, that he's going to get stronger, and that that will also let him – boost the walk rate a little bit because pitchers won't feel so emboldened to challenge him in the zone. It seems like pitchers figure he doesn't have a lot of power. I can attack him mostly with strikes and he's doing what he needs to do in that situation. But it does mean 
I think last I looked, he only had 15 walks this entire year. That's not a typical leadoff profile, but I also think he's young, physically still kind of immature, and that means that better things are to come. Yeah, Keith, I think, to be honest with you, what we've seen since he's gone up to that leadoff spot, I think you laid it out perfectly. He's hit for average. He's been on base. He's stolen basically the amount of bags he had all season long in the last Mm -hmm. 10 to 12 games. So I think he has found something here at the big league level. Hopefully it can continue, but appreciate the time, Keith. Thanks for joining us here. My pleasure. Great combo there, Tobe, with Keith Law. Very well done. Final thoughts before we sign off for episode 69. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention that second inning in game two of the Giants series and the at-bats those boys put together. I mean, that was fantastic. Three hitters and 30 pitches, I think, was the number. That that And they ran Logan Webb early. At first, it was they weren't even going to get Logan Webb out of the game because of how many runs they put up. Eventually, that's what they did. But they were going to have to get Logan Webb out of the game because he couldn't get guys out, and he was going to throw 40 and 50 pitches in the inning. That's incredible for those guys to have those kinds of at-bats. And, you know, that's something that might not ever happen again for this team this year. But at the same point, having guys put together professional at-bats, having guys draw walks that way, get singles, you love to see that. And it was awesome to see the boys run Logan Webb, one of the best starters in the National League, in the second inning and see them really pounce on him at the end there when you saw he was starting to fatigue a little bit in that inning and get some base hits and find ways to do things like that was an awesome thing to see for this offense, and I think that's encouraging going forward for these guys that they have good at-bats. You know, you talked about this with James Wood and saying that he has professional at-bats. I think a lot of the Nationals hitters, for the most part, have had more professional at-bats. Like We've seen Garcia grow in that way this year. You've seen Cabert Ruiz continue to have good at-bats. So I think all around, that was a really cool thing to see on Saturday. Yeah, to your point, Logan Webb's comments after the game. I was like pumped by where he's like, this team is a pain in the butt. You know, they all take good at bats and they make you work. And, you know, we knew they were going to be this way. They've been a thorn in our side. And I, like, that's the kind of thing you want to hear when you're in a down year. Uh, I'll just sign, sign off on. It is awesome when a player homers on their bobblehead night, seeing everyone like lift up their CJ Abrams bobblehead boxes, or they'd already open it, the bobbles and, and Abrams round in the bases. I just think that's the coolest thing. I'm really happy for him. That was a great moment. For Toby and producer Darius, I'm Grant saying thanks for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball. We will be back with another episode later this week, and we'll preview the trade deadline. If anything does happen between now and then, we'll give you an emergency pod and make sure we break the proceedings of the trade deadline down. Thank you for listening to BLB Ep 69. We're back at it in just a couple of days.